<laughs> Y'all know what it is. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This week features special guests, Mike and I. <laughs> so for anybody who's been paying any kind of attention over the last few weeks, obviously the summer is a busy time of year for us and everybody else. And uh, so we have taken to running a few classic episodes of eggs over the last, I don't know, six weeks or so. I think there are five or six of them. And uh, basically what we did is Mike and I got together and we chose a few of our sort of favorites from the past. Um, our audience has grown and evolved and changed a lot over the last four years. And uh, we had a lot of great people on early on in the show that, you know, maybe never got their due with a, a broader audience. And so we wanted to sort of reshare some of those broader shows. We called them Eggs Classics. And uh, like I say, in the last month and a half or so, there's been five or six of them. So go back and take a look. But, uh, but Mike and I are back on the good foot. We're here together. Uh, you know, still, I think, kind of a busy time for, uh, for Mike, especially. So we'll get into that a little bit. But, uh, but hey, hi, everybody. We missed you. Yeah, I think we could have maybe called them rotten eggs, too, because over time, <laughs> you know, things rot. I don't know. <laughs> hey, now, I think they were good. I like them. No, they so, were great. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, so I mean, as I sort of have alluded to, I mean, obviously, we were really busy this year. I mean, for people who know Mike is a, uh, a DJ by trade and by craft, he's a highly sought after DJ in the uh, Pacific Northwest, West especially. And, uh, and by God, it's wedding season. So, so Mike, uh, you want to talk a little bit about just kind of what's been going on with you and work and, and all that stuff. Uh, I've seen some pictures of the places you've been working and I'm impressed. Yeah, they're, uh, it, it is wedding season. And um, these are weddings that have, were initially scheduled almost two years ago now. And uh, a lot of them have uh, rolled over from last year into now. And um, it's nice that they're actually finally getting done, but. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's a good sign. I think probably for the happy couple, you know, they've made two years of just kind of, you know, Planning you know, a wedding, the holding pattern. <laughs> you know, they had to sit there for two years and decide if they hated each other. And well, so I think maybe the extra time wasn't a bad idea. So they, you know, like one of the most stressful things you can do is plan a wedding. And then not only to have to plan it initially before COVID and then deal with COVID and then plan it a second time. And sometimes even plan it a third time. I had one that had that rescheduled for last year, thinking that COVID was going to kind of go away before then and then it didn't so they had to pick another date and get all their vendors lined up a second and third time and it's just been a complete nightmare and um you know it's nice to get them like out of the way and done but at the same time all these weddings have paid two years ago so yeah. a lot of this work that i'm doing right now is essentially like I'm doing landscaping to pay for the trip to go do the wedding that I got paid for two, two years ago. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's one thing. I mean, you know, we do the same thing in our business, you know, we take a deposit for the work we do and yeah, I mean, these people pay their deposit and then, you know, I mean, the wedding hadn't happened yet. So, I mean, I guess that's how it goes, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's crazy. And you and I have, you know, obviously we've talked on a couple different episodes where, you know, just about how slow sort of DJ work got and the, you know, when the bars are closed and the clubs are closed and, you know, there's no place for DJs to work, you know, and, you know, the one last bastion for the great DJs is that they get to go and work, you know, like nice weddings, good weddings. And, uh, and when you don't have the weddings either, then my God, there's just like nothing you can do. I mean, yeah. short of being like a TikTok DJ, that's about all you got left. Well, a lot of them are actually doing, I, I know, um, there's a, a guy in Chicago named Boy Genius who does uh, two uh, Twitch 
streams every week and he's actually been able to supplement his income almost make more money doing twitch streams than actually doing gigs oh, wow. uh just people you know will donate during the show and and request songs and make a donation with it and i never got on that bandwagon just because you know i'm because you're an old guy like me no i i i just don't think you know like i like djing and and having the crowd in front of me really kind of makes my experience good and i think having the the twitch thing um a it it's starting a new platform it's building an audience on a platform i don't i'm not on and um it just seemed like a lot of work and for those guys that did it and are doing it still you know props you know because it takes a lot to to put that together and it's consistency and it's you know it's something that i just didn't have the passion for so if you did that and 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 stuck with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be really challenging, right? I mean, it'd be like being a musician and playing in your house, but not to anybody. Right. I mean, you know, or, you know, in your case, I mean, a big part of what you enjoy about DJing, don't let me speak for you, but I mean, I've been to a number of your gigs and, you know, a big part of, of where you start to, you know, feel it and where you start kind of rocking out and getting into it is when you have a group of people dancing in front of you and everybody's having a blast and you can actually see the energy in the move uh, in the room moving around. And uh, I mean, but that's kind of the whole thing, right? So, I mean, if you were just doing it in a sterile environment, you know, you're sitting in your house, you know, DJing to yourself and, you know, maybe you'll see a little text pop up every now and then, Hey, cool job. You know, I like yeah. this song, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't know. It is totally a different thing. So, I mean, maybe in terms of just being a performer, a totally different or maybe a new art form altogether. Well, actually, um, so I was talking with a, a DJ named Phrase, F-R-A-Z-E, um, and he was telling me that his Twitch stream has actually opened a lot of doors to him as far as networking with other DJs. Cause a lot of the guys will actually tune in and listen to, you know, his set and support a lot of like the DJ community actually supports each other really well. And um, by doing his Twitch stream, he's kind of got relationships going with some of these DJs that he would have never actually gotten yeah. to know, or, or, you know, like they're in New York, he's in Seattle or this and that. And it kind of, it's a, it's a very interesting platform to, to, to do things on. Uh, there's another one, uh, DJ face. He's a previous guest to this show. He'll actually set up a webcam in the club. Now he's back working at, um, uh, what's the, he, he's got two or three different venues, but, um, one of them he'll actually set up and stream his set at the club on Twitch. And he has a guy that, uh, comes there with him and he'll talk, you know, to the, the, crowd or people watching on twitch and then uh he'll actually get on the mic and talk to his twitch crowd while, while uh djing at the venue so people are like what is going on <laughs> so it's kind of funny i i think it's a it's you know technology is advancing and you can either jump on the bandwagon or you can get left behind and i think in this case i'm going to get left behind so. <laughs> well it's not too late um i've been thinking a little bit about twitch specifically too just because uh i've been trying to do more art centric type stuff you know and uh, i started working on some nfts and i rolled a few out and you know just trying to get into the mode where i was developing a persona as an artist you know not unlike you as a performer and and become known for that you know you've always been known as a performer and you know you're doing some other things these days and uh you know developing a new brand i guess so to speak around those things but for me 
I've always been known as sort of the, you know, art director, creative director, marketer, you know, guy, you know, ad guy. And, um, but what I'm trying to develop now is a little bit of an art career. And unfortunately I've been too busy to really push it too far, but, um, but Twitch has emerged as a platform. I'm seeing a number of different, uh, artist groups and, uh, individual artists and stuff like that, who just basically get on there and just draw. You know, they just draw and let people sort of watch their process and learn how they do things. And I think it's a, a really interesting opportunity for, you know, especially young artists and people who are just sort of interested in the process of art, because, you know, we often see, you know, and this is something, a, a critique that actually my 14 uh, year old gave me, but um, was that, you know, people, uh, the final piece is cool, whatever, you know, so like my little NFTs are, are cool looking when they're done. They're, a, you know, a neat looking illustration, but at the end of the day, what's actually interesting about it if you want to try and develop an audience is people watching how you do it they want to learn how the software works they want to learn what your process is you know do you start with shapes or do you just draw it straight out does it come from memory or are you tracing you know like i mean people want to know these things and you know you can actually at least with drawing and presumably i mean if you're running a dj set you could do the same thing you can go kind of long form with people and they might sort of you know come in and drop off and things like that but you know they they really want to see how it all works and I wonder if you couldn't do something like that with the DJ uh, realm too, or maybe it's not so much performing, but a teaching opportunity. Well, the, the, teach people uh, how to do things, you know? Yeah, a lot of guys are actually doing that. Um, DJ Q is one that uh, K U E, um, he's a kind of a house production guy, and, and um, he, he'll sit down and uh, record his Ableton session as he's making a remix of a track. And uh, DJ Face has done that as well. Uh, a bunch of guys are doing that. And it, to me, like, I'll tune in to like DJQ and I'll sit down and watch how he's doing stuff because there's a lot of techniques that, you know, I haven't thought of. Or, you know, as you're doing a bunch of this stuff, um, you learn things throughout the process. So, like, you learn how to warp a, a track or how to extract stems out of, you know, like, get the acapella and the instrumental and use the diff these different plugins for different things. And um, as a new person who hasn't had the experience to use Ableton or Pro Tools or the different software that you use for, you know, even making this podcast, I could probably set up a Twitch stream and show me editing the, the video and audio for this podcast. Could be interesting. Do I want to do it? Not really. But <laughs> as someone who, you know, I find it interesting, so I tune in. But uh, I've got so much on my plate right now. Starting a Twitch stream is probably the last thing I want to do. Yeah, well, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that it would be interesting. And, you know, you and I have talked a number of times about doing some kind of uh, a podcasting course or something like that, you know, because there are a lot of people, especially now, I mean, people are getting into podcasting and there's a lot of people looking for good information on it, right? I mean, of course, there are paid courses, there are people who are doing it already. But um, everybody sort of has their own brand. And, uh, and I think one thing that we have that's particularly unique is that, you know, one of the hosts, you know, does the editing and does all the work, you know, I mean, you have the expertise as an audio engineer, so you're capable, to come, you know, capable of coming in and actually doing the production yourself. And I think for a lot of like indie guys, you know, people who are just trying to get into podcasting or any sort of sort of online performance kind of thing. You know, I think most of them start out doing their own editing, right? I mean, you know, maybe the bigger shows are farming out editing to other people, but, you know, a lot of people could use those insights, you know, how, you know, on how they, how they can self-produce their own materials. So 
I think it's something, you know, definitely worthwhile. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm aware you have a ton on your plate, so I'm not saying (laughs) go do it today, but, uh, but I do, I I definitely think it'd be a value. I mean, you know, the stuff in your head is, uh, is important and valuable. And I think people would, uh, would love to see it. Well, likewise. I mean, um, you know, as you were saying, trying to develop yourself as an artist, I saw a couple of your NFTs that you put out. Um, I mean, that vector work is incredible and being able to do that kind of level of work. I'm sure there's a lot of up and coming people that uh, would love to know that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, the information's out there, but seeing someone actually do the work, I don't know, there's something different to it that, uh, yeah, I can teach you how to use the pen tool and illustrator, but seeing how to use it to accomplish an end goal. Yeah. You get more out of that, I think. Well, and what's, what's particularly interesting about the NFT stuff is I think, you know, just like, I mean, even though it seems like crypto is everywhere and this kind of thing is everywhere because it's all over the news, it's all over the internet. And maybe I see a lot of it because I happen to be sort of tuned into that stuff, but like the technology that crypto coins are built on and, you know, and the NFTs are sort of served through, which is, they call it the blockchain. Um, this blockchain technology is like, game changer in a lot of respects. Like I think that there are a lot of things yet, you know, yet to be discovered in terms of how people can apply this to, to everyday life and things. And I see blockchain technology as being one of those things that like for people of our generation, this is one of those things that we can grab onto early and sort of, you know, ride the wave on, because I think, you know, in the future, it'll be one of the the ways that we do a lot of business and do a lot of work. And, uh, and so I think even figuring out how to leverage like NFT and blockchain technology for, you know, like DJing, for example, like if, if you used NFTs as a way of packaging up a set and selling your set or whatever, you know, I mean, basically, I mean, I see it sort of as a, you know, non-legally binding alternative to like, you know, copyright uh, or trademark registration, right? Yeah, because- well, we had talked at one point about actually using it for your artwork, like releasing your logo package to a client, right. you know? Yeah, and I've still been trying to sort that out because uh, I think there's something to it. Now, I don't know if there's really a value add there. Like, I don't know if clients care that much, but um, but it is, it's certainly something I've thought about. So, I mean, for people who maybe missed mine and Mike's conversation about this, the, the concept is, that, you know, by, by registering something on the blockchain, you're sort of creating a record that will last forever, that cannot be changed, sort of, you know, indicating ownership of a thing. And you can transfer ownership or whatever, but this record will live forever, right? And so the idea is, you know, especially, you know, for people who don't know, I run a, a marketing agency and we do a lot of design work and logo work and that kind of stuff. I could do something where we create a logo you know, register it on the blockchain and then have our client basically buy the NFT of their logo package, at which point they could be delivered, you know, all the different file formats and all that stuff. But by doing that, we've registered this unique mark in a place, we've set a record and, you know, I mean, it's certainly not the standard. I mean, the standard would be taking it to like the copyright office or, you know, patent and trademark or whatever and getting it registered. But, you know, as a sort of initial first step to sort of put your flag in the sand, I think that, you know, this, this model could be really valuable for that. And I think especially in the future, you know, as, as trademark offices evolve and things like that, like using technology like blockchain would be a great way to house, uh, you know, sort of an, a non-fungible version of, you know, the, the record associated with that thing. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, applications for this technology that are, are yet undiscovered and everything. And so even though the NFTs and the crypto coins or whatever are sort of taking the stage, I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of other applications for it. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see where it goes and, and what happens with it for sure. 
Um, how have things been, man? Like you, you've had a couple trips that you just took, you went to DC yeah, and then God, you- it's been crazy time. And, and obviously with all, with all the travel I've managed to put on like 15 pounds and <laughs> right there with you. So, yeah. And I gotta, I gotta get, I have to get through summer cause the boys go back to school. Wife goes back to teaching and going back to school. And, uh, and then I just get the house to myself again and it gets quiet and I can start just getting back on routine. Right. So, but basically going back about, uh, well, to the beginning of the summer, uh, we bought a camper trailer and, uh, I don't know if I've had an opportunity to complain about it on this show yet, but, um, the trailer itself is beautiful. It's really nice. And, and, you know, my wife was basically the advocate for that thing. She had wanted a trailer, you know, 14 years ago before our oldest son was born. And then we found out we were pregnant and we ended up not, um, not buying one, you know, just for fear of, you know, the financial implications of having a child. And so we, uh, we backed off, we never did it, but my wife comes from a family of people who like to camp, they camp a lot. And for me, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan, so I, I don't need it in my life, but, um, but she loves it. And so basically these last 14 years, we've had very little camping, you know, maybe a trip here and there, but it was in a tent or it was staying in somebody else's camper or whatever. And, uh, and this year, my wife just threw her hands up in the air. Uh, we bought a pickup a year and a half ago and I knew it was only a matter of time. And, uh, yep. And she was, that like, was your fault. You could have got like a Honda or something. I didn't like... want a truck. She <laughs> truck. And so, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I still don't want a truck, but now I have a truck. And, uh, and so my wife was like, you know what time we're, we're buying a, we're buying a camper come hell or high water. We're getting a camper. So we got a camper. And so we spent the early half of the summer doing a lot of camping. Uh, you know, we didn't go too far, everything within maybe a couple mi- a couple hundred miles of Salt Lake. We didn't, you know, I'm not a big fan of hauling those things like interstate or cross country. How, or, how's that going, by the way? Are you getting down the backing up portion of it? All right. Or oh yeah, dude, I got to figure it out now. The trick for anybody who's looking out, I mean, you can find it on YouTube. So go ahead and go there. But I would like to think that we're a source of knowledge for a lot. <laughs> um, so the trick is you just move your hand to the bottom of the wheel and then right goes, moves your trailer to the right and left makes your trailer go to the left. There if you, you do it on top, it's weird. And it's, you know, you have to Backwards. have to do a little more brain math. I never thought of it that way, but, yeah, but uh, if you move your hand down to the bottom of it, like just you rotate your hand to the right and the trailer will turn to the right. And, and so after I learned that trick, done, no problem. Well, so, and you, you got lucky too, cause you started with a big trailer. If you start with like a jet ski where you can't see the, it's not sticking up above the, the top of the window or whatever, and you, the, your wheel up. That's how I learned how to back up a trailer. And I tell you what, I learned the hard way. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, too. I mean, I, I hedged my bets. I mean, we bought a, a three camera set for the trailer. So there's a camera down either side and one off the back. And then my truck's got a backup camera. Like, I mean, it's like a whole audio video presentation every time I back that trailer up. That's awesome. And so, uh, so anyway, but that's what it took for me to get, to get it in there. I told my wife I'd get it, but you know, I'm, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a dad or anything like the pulling trailers is not something I did. You know, I didn't grow up with somebody who did that, you know? So it was like, you know, oh, totally it's, foreign to me. It's all right so, though. My dad can't back up a trailer to save his life. So <laughs> there's that too. Well, and you're one of the hot <laughs> shots because I mean, you've done truck, you've driven truck, you've done all that stuff. So, I mean, you can probably whip these trailers around. No problem. Yeah. I love I, going I to a walk. I wouldn't have but, bothered learning when I go to a campground or whatever for camping is a, like a family reunion or something like that. One of my favorite thing to do is sit back with a beer and just watch people try and back their nice <laughs> RVs in. It's just the, the funniest thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've been impressed. Our last two trips, the first one was a little rocky, but the last two trips um, we're in, in five minutes, like done. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We're, we're knocking it out. So anyways, uh, we spent a lot of time uh, camping this summer. So that was interesting. I always joke during the summer, my wife's a school teacher. So I always joke that, um, 
um, you know, when we travel in the summer, she gets to go on vacation and I have to learn to work from increasing, increasingly tra- challenging locations. <laughs> so, uh, so in the case of camping, you know, every place we went, I had to figure out how to get Wi-Fi to the campsite, or we actually, the last place we stayed, we couldn't get Wi-Fi at the campsite. So I had to drive four miles down the Canyon to get Wi-Fi, pull down all my email, cruise back up and then work for, you know, two or three hours, then go back down, download, re-upload. <laughs> download again, come back up, you know? And I mean, so it's kind of a nightmare. It was pretty brutal actually, but. Well, it's a good uh, excuse to get away from the family for a few minutes. Yeah, right. Give you a few minutes. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. So, but uh, in our first month of camping, so I, each you, we have a cell phone or all our cell phones are through Verizon and on Verizon you get, I think it's 30 gigs of data uh, as a hotspot um, that's unlimited or whatever. So you can, you can, you know, download at any speed up to 30 gigs. Well, we burned through four phones. So we burned through mine, Tia, uh, my wife's, my uh, oldest son's, and then, uh, uh, an extra. And then, um, and then I ended up buying a mobile hotspot too. So I burned through four devices and we didn't get all the way through the hotspot, but I mean, that's whatever three times four is. Yeah, wow. 120 gigs of data that I pulled down from campsites across Utah this summer. So, so it's been uh, a while. Side note, I have Verizon as well, and I have the unlimited data package and all that stuff. And um, I up unlimited, yeah, huh. right? So um, I go to uh, a wedding and I try to pair my phone to my laptop like I have done for years. And all of a sudden there's this, you have to call your Verizon representative to set this feature up. Like when I updated my software or whatever on my phone, now it's set up where I can't do mobile hotspot from my phone because I haven't set it up through Verizon yet. And the fact that Apple is making me set it up through Verizon pisses me off because- Oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah, yeah. I mean, I just manage it from my phone. Luckily, I was able to, uh, so I have this uh, rack mount Bluetooth receiver in my DJ kit where I was able to get the song that I needed on Spotify and Bluetooth it through my PA. If I didn't have that and you don't have the headphone jack on your phone anymore, I would have been screwed. And I wouldn't be able like, it was a last minute, hey, do you have this song? Bride's requesting it. I don't have it on my laptop. Try to download it and set up Wi-Fi on my computer couldn't do it. So luckily I had that Bluetooth receiver or else I wouldn't be able to do it for them. And, and, you know, it's just little stuff like that where they put a clause in there where I have to call customer service to set up something that I've done in the past, that type of stuff. I I'm yeah. But even just happened to you and me earlier, you know, an hour before we did this show, we had a a podcast with another guy and we were about 20 minutes late starting because I updated my zoom software and it broke my driver for my camera. Yeah. And so even though an hour prior I had checked it and it worked just fine, whatever this update was broke the driver and, uh, you know, cost us 20 minutes. And luckily the, the guy we did the show with was very, you know, was graceful about it and everything. But so yeah, I, I, most DJs have this, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. So a lot of guys will use like when Serato switched from, um, scratch live to Serato DJ, a lot of guys were still using Scratch Live two or three years afterwards because a your drivers um, with if you have a fifty seven mixer instead of like a sixty two or or for you know it, uh, the drivers don't work so you have to have Scratch Live to use that mixer 
And so you can't upgrade because of that. And B, lots of times if you upgrade, you run into like some crazy issues beforehand that, um, you know, like never upgrade before a gig. You always do it after the weekend, like on a Monday. So you have time to figure out all the weird stuff, because if you show up thinking stuff just going to work, it just doesn't. Yeah, well, that was uh, exactly my mistake today, right? I mean, I haven't cracked this laptop in four or five weeks because you and I have been a little bit on hiatus and I had to open it. I don't know when we did the Aubrey Tarasas show, I had to, I had to turn it on then, but I mean, it's been whatever, a few weeks. And, uh, and so when I, I fired this computer up, I mean, it just, everything needed updated. Right. So it was just like, okay, update, 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 you know, and didn't even think anything of it. And then just, yeah, killed everything. Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, Aubrey Trace's show, I don't know, I'm slaughtering it, Tarasas. I apologize for (laughs) um, ghosting you on that and leaving you hanging. Um, For those of you who listened to it, I was not present. And um, that was 100% my sister's fault. And I'm going to blame her. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I'm sticking to it. No, yeah. it, uh, I mean, it ended up working out great. It was no big deal. And, uh, but yeah, no, poor Mike was stuck with family in the house. I, uh, I texted him and didn't hear from him. And then finally, you know, I, I mean, it was like, I don't know, maybe five minutes into the show or something when I finally heard and you're like, Oh my God. You know? yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, yeah, no, so poor Mike couldn't make it, but we didn't know he couldn't make it until it was too late. Yeah. And that was my bad. I should have texted you earlier that I, it's, and, uh, I mean, it, it worked out fine. The call was good. And we, you know, luckily we'd already prepared for the show and everything. So it was all good, but yeah. it, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was kind of a funny moment. So yeah, the summer has been wild. And I mean, for people who stuck with us through last year and everything, I mean, you remember Mike spent a lot of time in like Nome, Alaska last year and stuff. I mean, like we've been through some crazy summers the last couple of summers. Yeah. Uh, it's hard you know? when, when and stuff past, starts, we've, uh, we, Oh, Hang on, everybody. My wife's busting it. Yes? You're still on the phone for the doc? I guess just, okay. Leave me the doc. And if he comes on, I'll, we'll pause. So. This is called Real Time Parenting uh, with Mike and Ryan right now. <laughs> on the phone with uh, the Teladoc while you and I talk. Um, um, I guess that's right in front of my camera. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was just going to say that. <laughs> and so, uh, so I'll set it here. The doctor will come on and he will go, what? The f-? And then uh, we'll, we'll figure Ethan it out. Okay. Yeah. Tell Ethan to hurry. Cause if the doc comes on in a minute, he'll need it. So anyway, so there you go. Real life happening in real time. This is one of those, uh, you know, COVID moments, right? This is the, everybody started working at home thing. It's summer. We're all here now. And so, uh, you know, the boys, I've got my youngest son is off here uh, to the side over here playing video games. And he was told strictly don't come out for the next couple hours. So I think he was cool. Uh, with that. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, my, my oldest son uh, is playing football and we think he may have like a minor concussion or something. So they got on Teladoc and the Teladoc has been, you know, super slow getting on the, uh, on the phone. So that was my wife who just came busting in. I and- think this is her first appearance on the show. Yeah, got it. Should have made her poke in here. She has yeah. fun purple and blue hair right now, so I should have made her do it. Should have matched the uh, the background. There you go. So uh, so anyway, but yeah. So uh, let's see. What were we even talking about? I can't remember. Just crazy summer. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. yeah so anyway, um, I'll just I'll sort of circle back around because I don't remember exactly where we left off. But anyway, so, you know, despite all the camping, we, we took a couple trips out to Bear Lake this year for people who've listened in the past, you know, we have a, a family cabin out there. So we went up there, it's about two hours away. So, uh, you know, th- those were nice, like as always, but then the last 
I guess has been about the last four weeks. And this coincided with Mike doing a bunch of weddings up in Washington. Um, we were just like week after week after week. So we went up to Oregon uh, the first week and uh, went up to see my father up there. Second week, I or the next weekend, we were supposed to go out to the cabin again and our plan fell through. And then I got booked to go to DC for a, a video shoot. So I went out to Washington, DC that weekend. And then this last weekend was me and my wife's anniversary. So we went to New Orleans for our anniversary. And uh, so, yeah, so the last three weeks have just been bangers. Like we're just like not home. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think me and, my, me and my wife sat down and figured it out that we've been home about maybe about three weeks all summer. Wow. Yeah. It's just been brutal. Yeah. That's crazy. So, but so, uh, yeah. So talk, talk a little bit about, so, I mean, you, you went the place and we should share some pictures or something, but you should say, show the, uh, or talk about this new uh, wedding venue you're at this. Uh, it's like a vineyard or something. Um, I've been there before. Uh, it's in Chelan as well, but it's one of those venues that, um, it's high dollar. It's uh, a place called Siren Songs uh, Vineyard in Chelan. And um, I, I went and did this wedding with Scott Foster. He was on the show a while ago. He was the uh, live the entertainment for the cocktail hour. And it, this is one of those weddings that we booked two years ago. And um, both of us were like, oh, man, I wish they didn't pay us the full amount in advance. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, so he ended up flying in. I picked him up in Wenatchee. Uh, the wedding was great. Uh, we were featured on a lot of um, um, kind of wedding blogs in Seattle. Oh, cool. so I, I love it when that happens. And, um, good for business. Yeah. And actually this wedding, it's a different wedding planner than I normally work with too. And um, I'm really excited to, you know, work with her. Uh, she's um, her company's called the standard of grace. If you're looking for a great wedding planner, um, she's great. Um, one thing I like that, that, um, she has her vendors do is on social media platforms is if you post something about the wedding, you share all the links and handles for all the other wedding people involved. So like, uh, if I posted a photo for, um, the, you know, like, the dancing or the Scott playing the guitar or whatever, I would tag the photographer. I'd tag the florist. I'd tag the, the wedding planner. And it's actually, it's really neat to see everyone kind of supporting each other and actually kind of, you know, like if you're getting kudos for this, give the other vendors kudos, even to, down to the people who did the hair for the bride, you know, they came in and, oh, wow. you know, it's, I think it's really neat that they're doing that. And I wish, no, I think that's really cool, especially for things like that, because I think a lot of these people, you know, they're probably small companies, right? It's like some guy does hair or some girl does hair. And then this other person does, you know, flowers or whatever, but it's not probably maybe in some cases, but it's probably not always giant conglomerates, right? It's a lot yeah. of times local business or something like that. So that but is small really guys cool. like me, you know, and, and I appreciate the the kudos and, and I'm sure that, um, you know, everyone else does as well. And I, and I think it's something that I'm going to try and do more often. Um, is that a new development like post COVID? Like, had you seen that before or uh, is that's that a, that's a new development thing? That's a new development working with a different wedding planner. Um, okay. the wedding planner that I normally use or work that normally books me, uh, her name is Lorraine Jenkins and her company is called, uh, true, true expressions, I think. Yeah. Um, but she's based out of, uh, Chelan and she's where I get most of my work from in the area. And she's 
been amazing. Um, I can honestly tell you that if it wasn't for her, I would be broke right now. I, I would, I mean, she's booked probably 80% of my weddings over the last 10 years. And so I, I truly appreciate her. And I, um, you know, when I go to Chelan, uh, I stay at her house with her family. And so it's almost like a second family for me. Oh, that's so, cool. Love that. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, then that's the thing, right? I mean, this, this sort of, I don't know, collaboration between groups, you know, I mean, the fact that she's not only booking you, but kind of hooking you up that way. Like, I think what I, what I like about it, or what I think is so interesting about it is that it's a, uh, a kind of a, you know, it's a, a reciprocal thing, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's kind of looking out for one another. It's got that kind of small town vibe and Chelan is, I guess, kind of a smallish town, but, um, but it's a really cool place. Like, I mean, these, the places that you're working out of are, are these really cool vineyards and stuff. Like, I mean, it's pretty awesome stuff. Well, so uh, what is it? Is it Napa Valley in California? That's the, mm -hmm. the wine country. Um, yeah. This is the wine country for Seattle. So uh, it's a destination wedding for every, like, instead of, you know, doing it in Seattle and paying for these expensive venues in Seattle, they pay for the expensive venue in Chelan and make a trip out of it. Yeah. And uh, so most of the vendors are coming over from, you know, like the photographer at this last wedding is actually coming on our podcast, by the way. Um, she's a destination photographer. And so that she'll fly to Mexico. She'll fly to, you know, Tahoe to she's a rough gig. It's horrible. I know. <laughs> and uh, um, so I, asked her if she wanted to come on the show so she's going to come on the show and, and oh, that's awesome yeah it'd us. be cool to just kind of hear about that because i mean what a cool like thing to set up you know i look at people like that who have figured out how to sort of do the thing they're passionate about but also have this opportunity to see such amazing things you know and do such cool stuff i was just talking earlier to my uh my brother-in-law uh he came down for an overnight he had a, an appointment here in salt lake but he um is he's a, a, an amazing chef, a phenomenal chef. He, you know, when he was a young man, he spent a lot of years working in like five-star and Michelin rated restaurants. And, uh, and so he's really, you know, a, a, quite the cook himself. He was just telling me that his stepsister is doing a wedding where in uh, she runs like a catering organization and uh, they're doing, I think it, I might screw this up, but the CEO or the vice president or something of Lululemon's wedding Mm -hmm. And I guess they're, they're catering two of the seven parties that are being thrown. And, uh, and so he's going to go out, it's up in Jackson hole, Wyoming. And so, nice. uh, so he's going to go up to Jackson and work in the kitchen for a couple of days, even though he's a public defender by trade, but he's going to go work in the kitchen a couple of days just to go be around all this stuff. Right. Well, I, I'm sure he loves the rich and famous. I'm sure he loves doing cooking to begin with. If, if he was a chef, he in, probably enjoys it. And it's probably right. fun for him to get back in the, the kitchen. Speaking of like celebrity kind of events, um, Scott uh, Foster, um, who's been on the show two times, uh, the last wedding he had done before he came and did this wedding with me at Siren Songs was for Betsy DeVos. Oh, wow. uh, her daughter was getting married. And so like talk about buco bucks. Yeah, no joke. Was, right? Well, evidently the, the, like the planning company was, everyone was flown in for that. And so like just the planning people, there was probably, you know, 10, 15 people that showed up just for that one wedding. And then he, he quoted them initially before knowing who they were or else he, he said, <laughs> I would have, probably tripled my rate if I knew, that. <laughs> you know, hindsight 2020 kind of thing, but, um, yeah. and, 
But see, yeah. he's got to be getting you those kind of deals, man. You got to be doing those weddings. Well, see, the problem with me is for me to um, do a wedding, I have to have all the equipment. And uh, so arranging all the equipment is... Yeah, but if you're doing a $12 million wedding, you could probably source it out. Oh, oh yeah. No. And, and, and those are the, I mean, like, you know, I drive from Idaho to Chelan to do these weddings. Obviously there's money in it or else I wouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like for Scott, he can jump on a plane with his guitar and tie into a PA and be good. Whereas with me, I have to bring turntables, I have to bring Everything. mixer, I have to bring speakers and this and that. So I always tell everyone, like, I got in the wrong business. I should have been a videographer or a, a photographer because I could do these destination yeah, weddings. Throw it on your back and, and go. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's probably right. Yeah, you chose the most labor-intensive gig. <laughs> well, so. speaking of that, I also got into landscaping because I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we should talk about that a little bit. I think the last time we did one of these shows, it was just sort of you and me talking, I think... Well, if I remember right, and I may have this screwed up a little bit, but I think maybe two times ago, we were just like going through, you were getting documents filed, you had just gotten your license back, some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think the last time we talked, you had a couple gigs and you were working and you you were actually putting in some stuff for clients. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's been a minute since we updated. So what's new? How'd the summer go? Oh, goodness, man. Like this summer has been the craziest that I've ever had. And it's not the profitable list. Like I've... Um, that first gig that I did, I way massively underbid it. Um, and I think I worked a month, maybe just shy of a month for 800 bucks. It's probably oh. what I walked away with. And uh, a lot of that was not realizing that there's a lot of, um, you know, like you put a sprinkler system in, now you got to make sure it's got the coverage right. And now you got to make sure you got the water pressure correct on all the zones. And one of the zones, like, um, I had to dig up like 80 feet of pipe and add a fifth zone to the thing just because I, when I calculated it, I didn't calculate it quite right. And so I wasn't getting the pressure that I needed. And then I had to go buy more parts. And then uh, the scope creep was there. Like I was telling you initially that um, we did hydro seeding on half the lawn and the other half we did uh, uh, sod. And so the, there was a portion of the the area that's not a lawn, but we hydroceded it with um, just regular, you know, like what you would see on the side of the road grass, just kind of like uh, wild grass kind of stuff. And stuff. since we hydroceded it, he was like, hey, we didn't have a sprinkler system designed up there, but we need water up there and I don't want to do this. And so I ended up putting another zone on the sprinkler system and running a temporary area up there, but then that's parts that I had to buy to do that. And then it was, it's just like a lot of learning in that first one. Well, Um, and I imagine that's the case for everybody, right? I mean, I know that that was true, you know, for me working in the, you know, design business, you know, when you start selling something, you know, at least in your case, you've got something physical you're selling, right? Stuff have a price, you know, and, and you have to sort of, you know, figure out what your labor costs are or whatever. But I mean, but ultimately, you know, I mean, a sprinkler head costs what a sprinkler head costs, that kind of stuff. You know, when you're working in like intangibles, and this is the problem I'm sure you ran into as a young DJ and, you know, that I ran into as a young designer is that there's no, you know, there's no thing, right? So you have to figure out what this like intangible, you know, design file that I'm going to send over or whatever is worth. And, uh, and I'm sure it's, you know, very similar in landscaping. You know, I, I imagine there's a bit of growth curve. Yeah. Well, you, 
you're not necessarily selling the product itself. You're selling your time and your value of what you value your time as. And so it's, it's kind of it. And trying to explain that to a client and get them to realize that, you know, you're not paying for the logo. You're paying for the 20 years of my time to know how to make that logo in the first place. And why is it so expensive is because it took me 20 years to learn how to do that. And well, yeah. So- Who did I hear from somebody not too long ago? They were saying uh, they run a sprinkler business in Pocatello, I think uh, Pocatello, Idaho. And they were saying that they're charging, I want to say like $175 a head is what they charge to put in a system. I haven't seen it bid yeah. like that, but that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so, and I when, guess, I mean, I presume that factors in, you know, the, the pipe to and from each head or something. I'm not sure how, how it all breaks down, but I was just blown away. Cause I was like, I mean, just looking at my own yard, I mean, we don't have a massive yard, but it's pretty decent size. You know, I don't know, there's six or seven heads, maybe eight on each zone and mm-hmm. there's four or five, six, seven, eight zones. So 64 yeah. heads at $170 a piece, you know, it's like, well, crap so adds like up. when I, um, when I bid this project, um, like I said, I massively underdid it. And, uh, there's, once you do a sprinkler system, you have to get a test done on the backflow to make sure that it's not putting water back into the, into the water system for the city, because you don't want, you know, any contaminants or fertilizer getting into the drinking water. And so um, I had the, the test done and this guy's been in the sprinklers industry for 10, 15 years. And I told him what I quoted him and he's like, uh, yeah, I would have done about $4,000 more than what you quoted for everything that you did. And, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve and I, you know, wanted the job and I wanted to, you know. Well, um, that's a big part of it too, right? There's what you said, this idea that you wanted the job, right? Because especially when you're just trying to get the business going, there's this, it's not desperation, but it's like this anxiety about getting your first contract, right? You need to get out there so you can get established. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, I, I think I, I for sure did this, you know, it was notorious for doing work for less than what it was worth because it was just like, I, I want the job. So I'll go low so that they'll buy. Right. So that you can basically convince them to buy. Well, and it wasn't necessarily me trying to, con- I, I do, I wasn't desperate for the job, you know, like, yeah, it would have been great to, you know, I needed money because COVID and DJing was gone. And, you know, that's the whole reason I pivoted into landscaping to begin with, but um, it was lack of knowledge. It was lack of not knowing how to bid correctly. And um, uh, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts that it was really a guessing game on my end on how to bid it because you know i had to call and figure out you know how many yards of soil i needed and what it would cost for that and then delivery and this and that and it's like a wear and tear on my truck like towing the the equipment to the the job site wore out all my brakes so now i have to replace the entire brakes all the pads rotors and everything on my truck because that heavy equipment ruined that. And so that's an expense I didn't take into consideration, which is three, 400 bucks, which is now coming out of my profit, which is cutting uh, And my it's only list. three or 400 bucks because you can do it yourself. I mean, for yeah. the average person that you have, to, you know, who has to just take their car to the brake shop or whatever. It's grand. Quite a bit All more. my profit would have been gone if I had to pay someone else to do that. And I, I mean, I had to, there's, there's just so many moving parts in landscaping that, you know, like, well, it's so funny to hear you say all that because I mean, like, you know, when I think of landscaping or whatever, I think you just naturally simplify it, right? Oh yeah. Just go dig a hole and put some grass in it or, oh, just go add another head. It's not, a, you know, like it doesn't seem like a big, that's deal you as a consumer, right? Simplifying it. 
and me as the person doing the work knows everything. Well, well, now I know because I've done a few projects now, a few jobs, but um, you know, like I just did a flagstone patio for a client um, that I, I just finished the first path. I have more to do, but uh, she wanted me to come in and work hourly. And, you know, she, if I tell her I'm 20 bucks an hour, you know, then I'm cutting money off of my, my end because you know, I need to make X amount of dollars per project to make it worth my time. And I ended up bidding there, you know, more than 20 bucks an hour, but I sold it as a package of this is how much it's going to cost, knowing that it would take me less time to actually do it. But knowing what I value my time as, because she wouldn't value my time the same way. Right. And so it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, to be honest, struggle because like, I mean, you can like, I really could get out of hand pretty fast. Like sometimes I think people think they're getting a deal. Because it's like, okay, well, I'll only pay you for exactly the amount of time you use. When in reality, like if you just bid a flat rate and it goes long, like you're the one losing money, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they just have a flat rate. So in some cases it's safer even for them to choose the flat rate instead of the hourly, because like, you know, if you're, you know, just for simple math, I mean, if you're 40 bucks an hour and you bring an assistant and he's 40 bucks an hour, so they're paying 80 bucks an hour, like that could spin out and be pretty expensive pretty quickly with this kind of work. Yeah. Well, and like... Um, for me, like if I were to come in and, and quote her 40 bucks an hour, she'd say no, but I know that's what I want to make on this job. So I give her a flat rate and estimate my hours in advance because I've done, you know, I did this big flagstone patio at my house. I know how long it will actually take. Um, and another thing that is in that equation too, is I don't want to come in and spend three days straight working on her project. I want to do it here and there and fit it in when I can, because I'm so busy. I don't want to necessarily say I'm going to come in and do it this week and be done and then do a flat hourly rate. I can say, Hey, it's going to cost you this much, but I'm going to come in and take my time on it and do it right. And, and, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm a perfectionist to begin with. So I would rather do the job right than do a rush job to, to just, uh, you know, get it out of the way and done an hourly and keep her happy. I just quote her what it's worth to me. I come in and do the job an hour here and there. And then after a few weeks, it's done. So it's, yeah. I don't know, it's just the thought process that goes through my head. But yeah, no, um, it's challenging. And I mean, starting any new business is a challenge, but especially one where you don't really have, like you had the physical experience, you had done this kind of work before, but you hadn't done it in the sense that you didn't own a business doing this kind of work? Well, I didn't, I've never built anyone for it. I've never, uh, like all the jobs that I've done have been, you know, my house, a house that we're buying and flipping or something like that, that, uh, you know, it's like, you need to work. So I just do it myself instead of paying someone else to do it. And, um, you, you know, it's like it's a learning curve, learning how to, to do an estimate and learning how to, you know, make money at it. And to be honest with you, the last week I have hardly been able to even walk. My back is killing me to the point where, um, you, I like, I had to do that flagstone job so I could pay to go do this wedding that I've already been paid in advance for. <laughs> and so it's like, <laughs> I'm sitting here crawling trying to finish flagstone just so I could have the gas money to go and do this gig. It, yeah. It's really, it's coming down to, to that. And I'm I, I legit hundred percent honesty here. I'm probably going to go and drive truck again, just to yeah. 
get health benefits. Get some steady and, benefits and steady yeah. cash and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It sucks that I can't rely on the DJ income uh, because, you know, I, I love well, and even it. now, you know, as you hear the the news and people are, are starting to stress out again about this new Delta variant or whatever, and you know, what is that going to mean? Are we going to start shutting down again? You know, I mean, it's just there's still so much uncertainty. Yeah, but it seems like you know to try and rely on on public performance for a living would still be you know kind of challenging or a little bit scary anyway right now. Well, and I don't know, I. I like the thought of doing landscaping because I love being able to sit back and say, Hey, this is the direct result of my labor for the last month is you have this physical project. Like I drive by that house every day. It's on the way up to, to where I live. And now it's like, kind of like I have a um, good and bad taste in my mouth because yes, it looks awesome. And yes, it turned out great. And yes, it was a pain in the ass. And yes, dealing with the client to make him happy was a pain in the ass. And yes, there was a lot of this and that. So it's like this catch 22 where I'm like, yes, I did that. It's awesome. But yes, I lost my ass on it. And now it's kind of like a, a bad taste in my mouth, but at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's like a legacy thing, right? You get to see this thing that you did and it will outlive you and it's, it's great. You know, I mean, it's uh it's cool, but yeah, I mean, all that backstory attached to it could be problematic. Yeah. And you know, it's, if, if I was making it and it, it can, like if I would really just hire people and bid appropriately and, and not do all the labor myself, it could be a very profitable business and there is money in it. It's just a matter of bidding it right and, and having other people do the work. So I'm not killing myself. But the biggest thing for me right now is my back hurts. I don't have any benefits where I could go and, and right. I'd like yeah, even going in kind of gambling on that. Yeah. Getting physical therapy. I have to pay out of cash and like getting, you know, like if I keep killing myself on projects like that, I'm just going to, you know, put yeah. myself in an early grave and yeah. or I, at least in a swanky wheelchair or something. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, I, I would like, I would like to keep my contractor's license and still do side projects and do this and that. But, uh, to be honest with you, my insurance tripled. So not only did I, um, you know, by starting a, a business, my vehicle insurance is under the business now. So instead of paying, you know, a hundred bucks a month to Geico, I'm paying four or 500 bucks a month for the business insurance, for the, the car insurance, for everything that I need to just be legal. And right. so it, yeah. I well, I mean, it seems like that there's maybe then, you know, that the bigger challenge is just finding, finding new work that you can actually bid out at a high enough dollar amount that you can, you know, just, you can be directing the work, but not doing it. I, to be honest with you, like, um, I, when I'm doing the work here at the house, I enjoy it because it's, it's my meditation. It's, I go out and I work and it's my, you know, kind of like I get out and I, I enjoy it when I was doing the work for them, it was like, this has to be done and it has to be done to their specifications and it has to be done, you know, like it, it changes things and I don't necessarily enjoy it as much. Yeah. It makes um, sense. I mean, it becomes a, well, I mean, it becomes a job, right? It's not a hobby anymore. It's not a thing you can do to just kind of pass the time. It's something that you have to do to, you know, to make a living or to hit a deadline or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I, I understand that. I mean, even though you're doing landscaping, I mean, it's not that unlike what I do, you know, I mean, it's the same kind of 
you know, I think anytime you're in a service industry, you know, I mean, it's a little more challenging because for you, you have to deal with, you know, physical stuff you have to do with, you know, equipment and, you know, just I mean, physical labor, like you're talking about. I could probably stand to do a little more physical labor based on the belly I'm developing. <laughs> well, I, I did. I like doing that job starting off. I, uh, you know, I lost almost 20 pounds in the first three weeks that I was doing landscaping just because of the physical exertion that I had to do to, to get it done. But um, I mean, I think if I would specialize, like if I wasn't a general landscaper, like, I'll do your sod. I'll bring the topsoil in. I'll pick all the rocks out of your yard and I'll do it. You know, like that project, that's what that was, was it was like starting from nothing to rock walls in the lawns in the sprinkler systems in the everything. Well, I wonder done. if that isn't an idea then if maybe you do hyper-focus on one thing. Well, if I would, if I were to hyper-focus on, if I were to hyper-focus on sprinkler systems, um, it would a be a lot easier, less work and, uh, I'd be able to do more jobs and focus on just that me right now, this, this is going to sound stupid, uh, but um, having put a sprinkler system in and doing his yard, I realized how much water it takes to maintain a, uh, a lawn of that size and with the drought going on and with everything, I I feel guilty for my yard, you know, like just watering every day. I feel bad that I'm wasting that much water on a, on grass. And so I'm, I'm getting this kind of like, um, well then maybe it's time for innovation. Maybe we need to invent something right here on this show. The the, (laughs) a low water usage kind of water. Well, I've actually thought of, I thought of a, uh, recycling system for your lawn where you, well, I was going to say, what about using like drip lines or something, but submerging drip lines an inch or two below the surface and just running drip lines. And so you actually run way less material, but you keep your lawn moist always. So the, that's actually how they do it in the vineyards um, when they do. So probably 70% of the water that you spray on top of your lawn actually evaporates. So for it to actually get down to the roots, it's like 30, maybe 40% of the water you're actually using gets down there and feeds the, the grass. And so what they do in the vineyards is they do drip lines and they direct it directly to the roots. So they're using less water and they're getting what they need. And um, yeah, I'm wondering if like grasses, you know, if the roots of grass are approximately two or three inches underground, you know, if you couldn't, especially on a new lawn, you know, come up with a system for just burying a drip line, you know, basically, and, and just, you know, running several of them. I'm you know, sure there's I mean, might be dozens or something, you know, but they're they're close enough together that you could water a lawn or just keep it sort of perpetually wet. So the the process is um, uh, with the drip line. I don't think it would spread far enough out to get the like entire you'd have lawn. to put a thousand of them. Yeah, uh, my idea, what I was thinking about doing was doing like a kind of like putting a pond liner down um, and then putting like gravel on top and then putting soil on top of that and then put in your lawn. And so like your water would water the, the grass, the gravel would filtrate the dirt and, and mud out of it, allow it to hit the drip line and then have a catch basin where you essentially recycle it. Um, I don't know if that's been done or if it's even possible or if I'm just, you know, it's a pipe dream kind of thing, but that was a thought. 
Well, that sounds um, to me like we need to get some kind of scientist on this show that can help solve this problem. I actually thought of that. I'm like, I looked on LinkedIn trying to find like an irrigation specialist or something to see if, because like with Andrew and hydrogen, it was something I'm I'm interested yeah. in. So I get a guess that, you know, I'm yeah, interested it, in that. Well, so. it makes me wonder, right? I mean, are there alternatives? Like sprinkler systems are the easy one, you know, and it's, you mentioned the drought. I mean, they just rolled out news here that uh, we're only allowed to sprinkle two days a week and and, you know, some other stuff like that. You know, but what if, for example, you could pull a, I don't know, a mesh over your yard, you know, that was sort of a, a you know, like a sun shield kind of mesh. They do that uh, in, uh, in Chelan for the, for the um, apple trees and stuff like that. Okay, so what I'm learning, Mike, is that you and me need to start a vineyard because apparently I don't <laughs> water a vineyard. So, right. But I mean, but maybe there's something like that, you know, that you could put in a, a something that rolls it up on up along your fence line. And you just pull it out or it automates out or something, you know, it's got a little robot that pulls it out or something and then pushes it back, yeah. you know, or, I mean, but the, I think it seems like there could be an opportunity for some innovation, maybe even in the hydrogen realm. Right. I mean, is there a way to chemically create a, a fog that lays over the grass and, and moisturizes it instead? I don't know. I just know right now the way that, that it's done, I feel guilty and I don't like that feeling and I don't like working towards creating more, like I have a, a lawn job, a 4,000 square foot lawn I got to do in September. And it's like, I'm thinking of all the water that one lawn's going to take and the water that my lawn's taking and the water of the lawn that I just did. And it just, I feel guilty and I don't like working towards something that's contrary to what I stand for. And that's something that it, it so I, if I were to specialize in something, I would want a specialize in rock walls or flagstone or something that's not going to take a resource like water and get rid of it. And, and it, I don't know well, what we've got to do and it'll kill the lawn mowing industry and everything else, but you got to get people on board with uh, AstroTurf, I think. It, it, like in Phoenix and, yeah. and Vegas. Well, that's and what I mean, like, like Arizona, right? These places where they have no water, you know, you could do such cool stuff with like a little AstroTurf and a little uh, like gravel and rock. Yeah. Like you could build really cool lawns that are low maintenance and AstroTurf has gotten really cool, like really good. So like, like the, the flagstone patio that I just did, I also did her sprinkler system and I um, uh, did her, the a gravel, half her yards gravel. And I brought in all the gravel and I put all the weed barrier down and I, I did that. And the little portion of her yard that is lawn, we actually did a hybrid of lawn and clover and clover requires less water and it requires, it's attracts it, bees like it so it's a, a good resource for the bees which are you know that's another thing that they're going away and it's like i don't know i'm yeah, well but see but what you're describing though if you can put together two or three of these things that make your offering unique make it you know hyper niche so you're just doing lawns you know specialty lawns but you do a lawn that requires less uh you know uh water it makes good environment for bees and things like that, you know, so it's getting pollinated, it's going to grow well, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and it'll work in your area, you know, I mean, then you become the eco lawn guy, and you uh, save people so much money on water that whatever they pay you doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, of course, I'll pay you 20 grand to put in this lawn, because I'm never paying another water bill, yeah. you know. And so, I mean, maybe there's something where you can tie your, your passion or your interests in preserving, you know, natural resources or, you know, contributing to bee populations or whatever it is that you want to sort of champion and, you know, turn that into your benefit. You know, this yeah. is the thing that happens when you buy a lawn from us, know that your lawn requires 80% less water. So if you water now for 20 minutes a station, well, now you only need to do it for two minutes a station. 
and you're going to get the same growth and the same whatever, right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, so it seems um, like it's doable. It's just a matter of finding, you know, putting together the package that is this stuff. But it seems like you could do it. Well, so here's this is going down tangents. Then franchise is, it, by the way. What I what I actually envision as a kind of like a retirement, kind of like get on my own property and never come off kind of thing is I. A, I want a, I, I want to make knives just because I think it's cool. And yeah. so that's something I want to do. But B is I, I, I think that um, um, I want to get into uh, mushroom farming and uh, uh, because a, it requires less water and you got the hydrophonics. I was uh, mushrooms one. And then like the, uh, you know, lettuce and all these stuff that you, Dude, if you could get going on the, those criminelli or whatever they are, the ones that look like little brains. Oh yeah. <laughs> you can figure those out, those things out. I mean, maybe you're talking psychedelic, but I mean, if you're not talking psychedelic mushrooms, uh, those criminellis, I mean, they, I guess part of their deal is they only grow where it burns. Yeah. So if you could figure out a way to sort of manufacture that, you know, where you could burn, you, you know, it's scorched earth on your plant, you know, on your farm every year. And then, you know, all the criminellis are, I'm probably screwing up the name. It's not criminelli. That's like a meat brand, but anyway, it's, it's something, it sounds like that. Well, so but, here's uh, the, they, here's they the find them right. in Northern Idaho and stuff. They're pretty cool. So I have a friend in, well, they're not a friend. They're an acquaintance. Um, uh, Lacey and James, uh, we've talked about having them on the show at one point. They owned a, a restaurant called Juicy Dog. Uh, now they're actually, they sold their restaurant and they sold their house. They live in Mexico and they do food tourism. Um, if you want to, if you want to look them up, they're uh, called their, their Instagram handle is the way out adventure. And uh, they're who I went down to Cabo with. Um, so if you're ever looking for a trip to Cabo and get legit good food, they're the ones to hit up. But um, they have friends in Anacortes where they sell pre-made logs that uh, they'll ship to you and, and you can grow your own mushrooms at your house. And so it's all, everything's done and they're doing really, really well with it. And next time I'm in Anacortes, I'm going to reach out to them and see if maybe we can have them on the show and talk about be cool. their business. But for me, the, the reason it's in, intriguing to me is mushrooms is a, um, a good source for not only um like in India, they, most of their protein in it and food comes from mushrooms because it's easy to grow. It, you can use the roots as a um, kind of like a meat substitute. So you can get like a, it's a vegan alternative for meat because it has the same kind of texture and the same kind of feel as meat. Uh, it's also a plastic replacement. So like your plastic packaging for um, like, say you buy a laptop, it comes in this kind of styrofoam kind of to hold it from being moved and stuff like that. They actually create forms where they grow the mushroom roots in this form and then they bake it and it stops the growth and it creates like this, this mold of what you need. And so it's an eco alternative for wow. plastic. So it's a really cool um, process. Awesome. Yeah. It's really neat. I'll send you a video to it. We can post it in the show notes for this. Yeah, That'd be but, awesome. Um, you know, I think that'd be really cool. I mean, all that stuff sounds awesome to me actually. And, uh, I, I mean, me on me and my wife's side, because we drink so much coffee, we always thought it'd be fun to have a little coffee farm somewhere, uh -huh. go down to the Caribbean or something and buy a little plot of land and, you know, build a farm and, uh, mm -hmm. and just do, you know, coffee beans and then bring them here to the States or whatever. Well, but, there's just so many benefits to, uh, mushrooms in general. There is just a great 
product and it's it's not necessarily easy to do it's it would be a lot of learning to my end but that's kind of where i see myself in you know maybe 10 years i was gonna say either do that or if you can figure out how to grow truffles (laughs) because truffles are crazy too and and well and i mean you know if you could figure out how to actually get our climate to grow a truffle yeah a gazillionaire i think well so here's here's my thought process right now, as we sit, and I'm, I'm sorry for going on this tangent on the podcast, but no, I think it's interesting. I love it. Well, and this uh, is evidence that Mike and I haven't got to sit down and talk for a minute. So yeah. uh, no, I think it's fun. Um, I honestly think I'm going to go and drive truck for the next three or four years um, because a, I'll get health benefits. B I'll get some sort of 401k going C I'll get some stable income going and I can put that if I'm driving long haul, right. You're on the road. Most of the time you're living out of the truck. Anyway, I'm used to that. I've done it for, you know, like when I'm on the road DJ and I'm gone all the time and I'm living in my truck, watching my gear. So might as well get a legit job doing it. I there's companies out there where I can bring my dogs and they can kick it in the truck with me. And I'm just going to bankroll all the money and truck. Like if you're on the road a lot, you can make upwards of 80 to hundred grand a year. And if I can bankroll, you know, 70 of that and just put it in savings and start saving up and pay cash for three, four acres of land in Minnesota or wherever the fuck is cheap. Where you got to go for shroom farming. Well, just, I don't know. I want something paid off where I don't have a, a mortgage and I'm just paying, you know, for necessities and, yeah. Um, that's the thought is I'm just going to bankroll some money and, you know, maybe DJ a gig here and there, but only take yeah. weddings that pay enough to make it worthwhile. Right. So, we'll just take your gear on the road and do a, a Twitch stream of DJing from the back of the truck. No. Nah. And then you got a whole thing going on. I don't know. It, I, it, COVID has been so weird on me, not having work and, and trying to, get this landscaping thing going and realizing that my back's not cut out for it. And I just need to just take something stable and, and go from there. So I don't know. Well, no, I mean, it sounds interesting and it's cool that there's sort of a journey in mind, you know, that, I mean, this idea, cause I mean, I think the idea of sort of, you know, getting a hunk of land and, and, you know, growing something. And like, I mean, I think that's all very cool. I mean, maybe it's, you know, kind of romantic or whatever, but I think it's a cool idea. And uh, yeah, no, I think it'd be really cool, actually. Well, there's this there's this guy right now that, um, you know, I've been doing research trying to figure out like the, the best processes and the things to do. Yeah. And, and uh, there's this guy right now that does this. Um, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, hydrophonics. But uh, he has it set up in layers where the, the water source is a fish tank. Oh, wow. And he grows tilapia. Um which is a protein, which is, you know, yeah. um, delicious. Thing and delicious. And, uh, the tilapia, he feeds them and their byproduct, the, the poop and whatever comes out into the water actually fertilizes the plants down the stream and oh, he wow. pumps it in a cycle. So the plants are getting the nutrients that they need from the fish. And then the water comes back in and it just creates the process. So a, you're recycling the water it's and totally self-sustaining. Yeah. And so water to evaporation, but outside of that, you're pretty, pretty sustainable. I just, you know, with the current state of things and the way everything's going right now, I I just want to do something that's a not harmful for the environment and B is giving back, you know, and, and 
Well, and honestly, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, just given the fact that, I mean, you know, we probably have to resign ourselves to the fact that there will be a COVID, you know, whether it's this one or COVID 20 or 21 or, you know, whatever we've got, I mean, you know, there's going to be stuff down the road, you know, whether we're just living with the future, you know, with COVID uh, as we know it today, or, you know, whatever is, is coming down the road. And so I think people who invest in that kind of stuff, you know, sustainable things, things that are self-sufficient, you know, that kind of stuff, those will be the champions or those will be the hero, you know, the next time this happens and the, and the economy shuts down, whatever, man, I'm just growing my mushrooms out here. We're totally sustainable. We're, you know, solar, we're off the grid, you know? And, uh, and I think that, that, you know, I think there's some real merit to that kind of stuff. I just, I'm looking for the simple lifestyle. I'm looking for the, you know, sustain myself, maybe give, give as much back to the communities I can, as far as like, if I'm producing, you know, a farm or, or this or that, you know, and I just, yeah, you ought to check out. I don't know. I imagine it's expensive to live here, so it's probably not perfect, but I think I told you we'd gone camping just outside of a town called Eden here in Utah. Mm -hmm. It's on the backside of the mountain. And, uh, uh, from where I live anyway, it's about only about 30 minutes away though. And, um, but back up in there, I mean, not only you mentioned wanting to maybe make knives or do something like that. There's a little, uh, forge up in there and uh, it's just a guy, a little brick shop, you know, and it's the, whatever forge, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, but that's all he's doing, but it's a community of, I don't know, a hundred people, you know, I mean, it's like just this little place. It's got a couple cafes and things for people passing through and tourists coming out to the reservoir and stuff like that but it's, it's quaint. It's small. It's easy going. All the people know each other. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a cool vibe. It really is. Well, right now I'm looking at, um, if you go to like the Canadian border, Washington on the Eastern side, um, there's, uh, Vantage and, and Chelan and just North about an hour and a half. Um, property is rather affordable. It's not blown out of proportion because it's far away from Seattle. And, um, uh, I'd be close enough to still do the Chelan weddings. And, and, um, that's kind of where I'm looking. If not there, I'm seriously looking at Northern, um, Michigan because you can buy a hundred acres for next to nothing. And as long um, as you're a Wolverines fan, then it's all good. Yeah. Don't go out there and be a Spartans fan and we're not talking anymore. Right. So <laughs> anyways, enough, enough ranting about my, no, it's I, good. I, yeah. I mean, it's fun to kind of talk about this because I, I think, you know, I, I mean, COVID has been weird for a lot of people, you know, myself included. I mean, like I, I went back to school to consider changing careers and I've been a graphic designer, artist, you know, marketing guy for 20 years, 30 years, yeah. you know, and I'm talking about switching it up, you know, and I mean, like I, it would have never come into my head before COVID, but I had a lot of time just by myself working in my office all by myself alone, yeah. you know, and all that time to just kind of be up in my head was like, well, shoot, maybe, maybe this isn't what I want to do. Maybe it's time for a pivot, you know? So in my situation, I was, you know, 157 credits into a degree that I'd never finished. And so I decided to just wrap it up and, and, you know, then I could maybe take a master's and actually change directions altogether you know, going to a whole different career path, you know, sort of kind of what you're talking about. I mean, you've been a DJ for 25 years or 20 years and here you are talking about mushroom farming, you know, but I'm, but I mean, but that's what I think COVID did for, you know, and, and I don't know, I mean, you could look at it as a negative, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's positive, you know, I mean, they, they had time to sit and sort of assess what matters to them and what they care about, you know, I mean, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, DJ Mike is not thinking about water conservation. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like, and so, but ultimately, are you a better person for thinking about water conversation or con, uh, uh, con, uh, conservation? Conservation. I mean, yes, of course. You know, I mean, obviously, we should all be doing our part, and we should all be doing what we can to be sustainable and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, ultimately, it's a positive in the sense that you know it's making you a better person. It's helped you put together a plan for what you think you want to do to try and you know get some money saved and get some stuff set aside so that you can just go do this thing. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. So, I mean, you know, some people can look at it as negative, but I, I think it really is probably a positive. It's just a, I think it's change and it's different for people, but I think it gave people this opportunity to kind of reassess what's important. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it always seems like in DJing, I'm always working for that next piece of gear, trying to build the business that much bigger, trying to, you know, get the, the light show pack like oh, i was gonna say i know you dude you're gonna be on the farm and it's gonna be okay i gotta get the bigger tractor i gotta get the new <laughs> one with the rims with the spinners no. you know whatever i mean you're gonna be it'll be the same thing it'll just be farm gear not well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh uh, man i'm the latest thrasher this new thrasher is gonna knock down that field in half the time it's just so weird to to have all this gear and have all this money tied up in gear and it just sitting in a trailer for a year and a half and not making any money. And and I never thought in a million years that um, the economy would just shut down to where it's just sitting where I, I can't use the gear that I invested in. And now it's like, it's just money tied up in a speaker that I can't use. And now it's finally coming back. And now we're dealing with the, the Delta variant and it's like, is it going to shut down again? Is it, all the venues in Seattle right now are requiring a, a proof of vaccine. And, and it's like, it's this weird kind of what the fuck is going on and how, uh, what yeah, can I rely on? And it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. So, but I think it's actually cool. I think that's kind of an inspirational thing to, to leave it lean on, you know, or to sort of end this conversation with, you know, because I think, you know, in your mind maybe, and, or at least, you know, sort of the way that I'm reading your face and stuff like that, you know, you're sort of looking at this as like, defeat or something. But I mean, in my mind, you know, you're, you've discovered what's important to you. You know, this is maybe the first time you and I have ever had a water conservation talk. You know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, it's, it's, you've discovered things that are of value to you and it took COVID to find them, Yeah. you know? And so, and now you're, you're even, I mean, all the way down to feeling guilty about putting in a sprinkler system, you know what I mean? Like that, that's a changed mic. That's a different mic. And, uh, and I think that that's a, I think that's a positive. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'll have plenty of time to think about it when I'm driving a semi <laughs> to Ohio in the middle of the winter. But um, I started trucking, baby. Make a TV show out of it. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry to, to go off on a tangent. I know it's not normal for us. And um, yeah, you know, it, I mean, in my mind, for what it's worth, I, I think it's totally cool that you did that. I think that um, I think a lot of people are living there right now, you know, trying to figure out what's next and where they're headed and you know, all that kind of stuff. I think people are all living through, you know, the fear or the anxiety or the, you know, the array of emotions that have come up with COVID and stuff. So I think you putting yourself out there like that is pretty uh, commendable, actually. Well, it's like, we've got this, uh, next week, we're going to have a financial planner on the show, uh, for those of you who will be around next week. Um, and it's so weird to, you know, have these conversations with these guys that have all this money and, and do the right things finance-wise. And then meanwhile, I'm you know, trying to figure out how to make the next car payment. And so it's like, I try to keep it real because I don't want to, you know, lie and, and pretend like I'm this and that when really it's, I'm just probably like 99% of the rest of the Americans right now with 
no money in the bank and well and we've, we've seen next. this with other guests too where they come on and and they're sort of a vibe you know that they put off like they've got it all figured out and i think it's really common for people who try and guest on shows like ours and stuff to come there you know maybe they're supposed to be the authority on something or whatever right so they come out with sort of that attitude or that take on things and uh but i think there's you know there's chinks in everyone's armor you know everybody's having you know problems and struggles and i and i think that you know yeah, this is a good platform for sharing that stuff. And I mean, if you can't be honest with our audience and, you know, with us, then, uh, you know, who can you be honest with, you know? And I, I think it's important to be vulnerable like that and sort of show what you're thinking because there's a lot of people changing careers. There's a lot of people changing, you know, their whole lifestyle, everything after after everything everyone's been through. And so I think uh, I think it's an important message. So, yeah, I and wouldn't it, feel bad about it at all. If you're watching the video and notice that all my records are gone, I had to sell them. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a lie. <laughs> I, I put them in storage. I live in a, an area that's kind of a fire hazard. And so I'm I'm really worried that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when our house will will burn down. So I, during the summer, I, I put them in storage just to, you know, get that worry off of my plate. Because if I lost my record collection, I'd be in. That would be it. <laughs> That, that would be, be it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, minimally, if you're out mushroom farming, you can take a turntable. You can put on. <laughs> I could. You, yeah, you I lose, could lose all the. Well, because God knows you won't have Spotify out there. No Wi-Fi out in the yeah. middle of nowhere. You know, uh, so it's going to be off-grid, Mike, listening to all those records. So you got to preserve yeah. those things. Anyways, uh, enough bitching and complaining. <laughs> um, thank you for tuning in, and if you've made it this far, I apologize, and we will <laughs> see you next week. So. Yep. All right. Yeah. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week with uh, financial planner guy. So we'll uh, we'll make all the announcements then. So take care, and we'll uh, we'll catch you all next time.